Welcome to another special edition of the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Kate Calusiestes, one of the pastors on staff. Our ministry of worship continues even though the circumstances around the COVID-19 pandemic have caused us to cancel our in-person gatherings for the time being. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open and affirming congregation. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our messages, we hope that you will find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your journey of faith. We invite you to listen with us now. The book of Acts tells the story of the early church, those opening chapters glowing with glimpses of what life was like for Jesus' followers immediately after his glorious ascension. As Allison just read, with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Everything they owned was held in common, distributed to each as any had need. But before they made it to this utopian preview of God's reign on earth, before they were able to testify with great power and share with great grace, the disciples struggled just to survive the immediate aftermath of Jesus' execution. They were devastated, shell-shocked, heartbroken, terrified. And our glimpses into that awful time come from the closing chapters of the four Gospels, perhaps especially the Gospel of John. This is John chapter 20, beginning with verse 19. And the setting is Jerusalem at the end of that very first Easter day. When it was evening on that day, the very first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus' disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What Thomas saw were wounds that God has chosen to bear. Now, I am not into gore, and I don't think the gospel writer is either. Whether Thomas actually accepted Jesus' invitation to touch those wounds, reading them like Braille, we don't know. John doesn't say, and I don't think it really matters. But when Thomas sees the wounds that Jesus chose to bear, to expose, to bring with him, Thomas identifies this visibly wounded, yet miraculously triumphant Messiah, not merely as Lord, but as God. What a remarkable thing. Jesus, instead of appearing in some airbrushed perfection, Jesus returns to his disciples deliberately displaying the woundedness that he'd encountered in human life. That's what Thomas saw. And that is the God Thomas is then able to believe in. This text is part of a series of vignettes that are all about seeing and believing. The first two vignettes are in the passage that Lauren read so effectively last Sunday. Early on that very first Easter, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. When she saw that the stone had been rolled away, she ran to tell the other followers. Two of them hurried to the tomb, Simon Peter, who dashed on in, and the beloved disciple, who entered the tomb and, the text says, saw and believed. That's vignette number one. Those two disciples leave, but Mary lingers, weeping. She sees someone she mistakes as the gardener, but when he speaks her name, she sees and believes that it is Jesus. Vignette two. Jesus commissions Mary to announce the resurrection to the disciples, and she does. This morning's reading starts with the next vignette. It's the end of that same Easter day. Mary has told the good news, but the disciples did not believe her. They are so fearful that they have put faith in nothing more profound than a locked door. Paying no heed to that lock, or even to that door, Jesus is suddenly standing there in their midst, and he explicitly makes them see his wounded hands and side. Only after seeing can the disciples believe. As the text puts it, then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Vignette three. The disciples subsequently tell Thomas this good news, but he, just like them, does not believe. Instead, in a scene that exists only in this gospel, Thomas alone articulates how traumatized they've all been. Next, like today's worship service, the fourth vignette occurs one week later. The disciples, this time including Thomas, are once again gathered and Jesus once again appears. And he homes right in on Thomas, offering that suffering man exactly what he said he needed. And in response, Thomas leaps to a fuller declaration of faith than anybody in that gospel has managed. Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. And yet despite this full-throated declaration of faith, we malign the poor guy, doubting Thomas. Everyone else also had to see in order to believe. 
But it's only Thomas who gets a bad rap, and that bugs me because I am grateful for Thomas. He is my soulmate. He is the one who reassures me that my moments of doubt, my mountains of doubt, do not condemn me. Let me know in the comments if that sounds familiar to you. Because um, the, it is then that the, that the gospel pivots to us, and we are the final vignette. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And then the gospel writer startlingly addresses us directly. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you, and here we have the ancient Greek, y'all, so that y'all may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, y'all may have faith in his name. We cannot see what Thomas saw, the marks of nails and spear on Jesus's flesh and bone, and I don't think I actually want to see it. But can we nevertheless believe in the God whom Thomas saw and proclaimed, the willingly wounded God. I'm finding this faith challenge really provocative. There are many passages that help us ponder God's choice to live among us as one of us, showing us how to live with one another and with God. Many passages that help us ponder God's choice not only to accept our humanity, but also to endure our inhumanity and then carry all that human pain right into the heart of God. But this is the passage that helps me ponder God's choice to display the wounds of the world. Those disfiguring marks that Jesus deliberately has his disciples see, those wounds are not merely proof that, yes, this must really be Jesus because we can tell he's been crucified, Mm -mm. Those marks also tell us something about God, about God's willingness to claim us in all our painful, ugly brokenness and to abide with us in every tragic loss. Last Thursday, on my neighborhood walk, I saw a woman coming down on the opposite sidewalk. Uh, like me, her arms and legs were awkwardly pale after months of winter. But unlike me, she was sort of stumbling and staggering, and eventually she just fell down. And so I went over to her and said something foolish like, are you okay? Fine. Well, it, um, it looks like your, your knees are bleeding. I'm fine. And this awkward exchange continued. She told me her name was Thelma. And eventually she just passed out on the grass. At that point I decided I needed to call 911. And then I decided I needed to wait. And while I'm standing there wishing there was shade, she suddenly sits up and with horrible clarity says, I'm bad. I've lost the love of my family. That's how bad 
Those wounds that Thomas saw show us God's ability and willingness to empathize with all woundedness. It blows my mind that God would choose to be seen as disfigured in order to assure us of God's empathy with us. We are as flawed as we are finite. God is infinite in power and creativity and mercy and love and grace. And yet God displays God's woundedness to demonstrate God's empathy, radical empathy. When I was serving at Oakhurst Presbyterian, one of the people I got to work with was Steffi Kuntz. And uh, working with Steffi Kuntz was always a lesson in radical empathy because Steffi is a trans woman. In fact, when she won uh, a seat on the Doraville City Council, she became the first openly transgendered elected official in the state of Georgia. Well, deep into adulthood, Steffi had lived as a man. And after transitioning to life as a female, she was perpetually aghast at not being a white man, but being a white woman, and how differently the world treated her. I cannot believe how much harder everything is when you're a woman. Whether it's a small business owner, or as a politician, or just trying to make it through the day, I cannot believe how much harder it is. It's crazy how women are treated. And when I was living as a man, I had no idea. I figured the whole world treated everyone pretty much equally. I had no idea. That's the tacit power of privilege. Most of us have no idea. I mean, we generally cannot know what it is to live as a different gender or race or even class. And that limits our empathy. But when Jesus Christ shows his disciples, including Thomas, including us. When Jesus Christ shows his wounded hands and side, he is showing us that even from the far side of the grave, he knows what it is to be mistreated, damaged, marred by this world. So what Thomas saw was not simply his friend and teacher returned from the dead. No, what Thomas saw was proof of God's radical empathy. When I consider all the ways that I am marred by sin, I know I need a God who can look upon this disfigurement with empathy. A God who will offer me life beyond my disfigurement. And when I think about meeting Thelma last Thursday, I know I'm not the only one who needs such a God. And when I ponder all the wounds we carry as individuals, as a church, as a city, a nation, a world, I pray that we will all engage with this story and believe in Thomas's radically empathetic God. Because yes, through believing, we may have life in Christ's name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. We would normally invite you to worship with us in person on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. But while we weather the storm of the COVID-19 pandemic, we invite you to worship with us live on Facebook or YouTube. And please visit our website, covpresatl.org, for more information, as well as our full archive of recorded services to learn more about us and to get in touch with us. We wish you well in these times of upheaval. Grace and peace to you.